Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How are we doing tonight? Can everybody give it up for the band? Yeah. Very good. We need to quit having good worship sets on nights that I preach, because then I just feel like I'm not going to have any voice left for when I actually am supposed to use my voice, which I guess I'm supposed to use my voice during worship anyway. But for those of you that don't know me, my name is Isaac. I'm part of the leadership team and teaching team here. Uh, we are continuing tonight in our Defender series. For those of you that weren't here last week, Kip uh, had an amazing message. Who was here last week for Kip's message? Yeah, yeah. Since Kip isn't here, give Kip some love so we can. That one was for you, Kipper. Um, so, yeah, we're continuing in our Defender series. And last week, Kip really talked about uh, being a biblical defender of truth or a defender of, of biblical truth. And that was an amazing message, so go back and listen to it. Um, so I'm going to pray quick, and then we're going to dive right into week two. So, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we get to be here tonight. God, I pray that you would do the work in our hearts to make us warriors for your kingdom, defenders of your truth. God, I pray that you would help us to lay our lives down so that we can pick yours up. So God, I just pray that your spirit would fall in this place and that it would speak to us all individually. God, that you would take my imperfect words and that that you would use them through your Holy Spirit to stir hearts. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're in our Defender series, and so when I was thinking about, you know, what does it mean to be a defender? What is the central theme behind being a a defender or a warrior of the truth and of the kingdom of God? And really, the central theme that I kept coming back to was self-sacrifice. If there's something that it it takes to be a warrior, if there's one character trait to be a warrior and a defender, it's self-sacrifice. Are we not most drawn to the characters in movies and stories that sacrifice the most for the good of other people? And so by that measure, Christ was the greatest defender because who in history has sacrificed more than Jesus did? The problem is that we really know very little about what it means to live a life of self-sacrifice. And that's exactly the way Satan wants it. You see, through culture, especially in the West, Satan is trying to eliminate anything that resembles self-sacrifice. You see, there's, there's a curse that also comes with the blessing that we have had of the prosperity we have had in the West. We live quite comfortable. And it, it extends to things that are so insidious that we probably don't even realize it or think about it. And frankly, I believe it's been one of Satan's most effective targets or uh, effective um, attacks against the kingdom of God in the West. And most specifically, when it comes to self-sacrifice, I think he is most specifically targeting men. So men, I'm, I'm coming after you. Here we go. Ladies, I promise I won't leave you out either. So <laughs> buckle up. You see, when men forsake their God-given calling of self-sacrifice and live for self-pleasure, the world breaks. Plain and simple. You look at any sociological study in the world, Christian or not, when men forsake their duty, their biblical duty that God has lined out within his word, the world breaks. 
You look at just about anything that's broken in this world, and I believe you can pin it on selfish men. Selfish men in the family, selfish men in the workplace, selfish men in the government, selfish men in the church. Chances are, if you've been hurt in the church, it was probably the result of a selfish man. And there's this narrative going on lately about toxic masculinity. I'm going to say some things that some of you will disagree with and some of you will agree with, so wait until I say everything before you go (laughs) posting on Twitter and saying that there are a bunch of heretics at Church 214. So just buckle up and listen. There's this narrative of toxic masculinity, and on the surface, I agree with it 100%. And that may shock some of you. I agree with that premise 100%. You see, traits that we would generally consider to be masculine, traditional masculinity being uh, someone that's aggressive or a natural leader or someone that is risky or strong or courageous, when men use those traits for selfish gain, it is completely toxic to society. It is toxic to the family. It's toxic to the marriage. If for some reason that man is is able to get a wife, it will destroy their marriage. It will destroy their kids. It will destroy church if they're involved with it. It will destroy their business. It will destroy the world. You see, God designed men to be self-sacrificing in their masculinity. Because when a masculine man sacrifices his own life for the good of the people around him, the world flourishes. When a man uses his masculinity for selfish gain, the world burns. And Satan has been manipulating men since the beginning of time to use their God-given masculinity for their own power and for their own pleasure rather than for God and for the kingdom. And frankly, the world has finally caught on to the fact that masculine men living for themselves, living for themselves causes problems, and the, the world is finally trying to start to do something about it. The problem is that our current culture's cure is just as damaging as selfish masculinity itself. You see, we have now been castrated as men that if you display any ounce of masculinity, you're a chauvinist pig that thrives on the patriarchy. The problem is not masculinity. The problem is that we as men have forsaken our God-given calling to lay down our lives through our masculinity for the good of the world around us. That's the problem. Our masculinity was meant to be inextricably linked to self-sacrifice. We'll all know this verse, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, gave himself up for her. So you see, men, we are called to live lives of radical self-sacrifice. That is our calling. And maybe that looks as simple as taking out the trash when you see that it's full, even though you're tired after work. Maybe that looks like turning off your phone when you get home and your phone does not get turned back on again until you have poured into your wife and poured into your children. Amen. 
Maybe that looks like when you've had the worst day at work that you have, could have possibly imagined and your kid comes up and runs up to you and says, Daddy, play with me. You say, okay, buddy. You see, men, we are called to live our lives in a way that we go to bed very tired and wrung out for the sake of our families and for the sake of the gospel. If you are going to bed with energy and comfortable, chances are you could have done more during the day to lay your life down and live a life of self-sacrifice. That's what we're called to do. Now, ladies, if when I was talking about all of that, the first thing in your gut was, get them. <laughs> Did you hear that, babe? You have some lessons to learn, too. I'm going to leave it at that and let the Holy Spirit deal with you. I've, I've survived five years with your sister, I know. <laughs> And it's been a blissful five years. <laughs> you see, Jesus gave everything for the church. Every breath, every drop of blood, every tear, every word that he spoke was for the glory of his Father and for the good of the church. And he did nothing for selfish gain. He was the picture of what a masculine man was supposed to look like. He's not woke Jesus. Which I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this meme going around. I should have prefaced with saying that, that my message is not going to be anywhere close to woke Jesus. I'm, you're not going to leave here going, I feel so good about myself. Hopefully you'll leave here going, man, I need a savior. Every day, every hour, every minute. See, Jesus did nothing for selfish gain. And you might say, well, Jesus was God. It was easy for him. And I would beg to differ. Case in point right here. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Right? Jesus had the most intense battle between his flesh's desire to live and also to stay in communion with the Father and his spirit's desire to do the will of the Father. There was this battle going on inside of Jesus. And it was so intense, in fact, that he sweat drops of blood. And so listen, men, listen, women. When was the last time you got on your knees and battled so hard against your flesh and battled so hard against your earthly desires and battled so hard against your sin issues that you began to sweat drops of blood and you stayed there until you were able to say, not my will, but yours be done. You think it was easy for Jesus? I would beg to differ and I would argue that very few of us, if any of us, have fought against our flesh as violently as Jesus did. That is violent self-sacrifice. But you see, our culture tells us, don't let anybody tell you what to do. Do whatever feels right. You're the master of your own life. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Your life of, meaning, of uh, meaningfulness and happiness is completely dependent on you doing whatever suits your fancy. And so if you want to be a man, you can be a man. If you want to be a woman, you can be a woman. You can even identify as a different species now. I don't know if you guys knew that. Like, it, like you, can, you can do that now. You can say, okay, I'm a dog. Like, there are communities of people that, like, live part of their lives as dogs. It's nuts. 
See, this line of thinking is completely antithetical to the gospel because culture tells us embrace yourself. If it feels good, it's fine. Culture says embrace yourself, but the gospel says die to yourself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body into submission. Those are some violent words that Paul has for his flesh. Luke 9, 23 through 24, Jesus says this. And Jesus said to all of his followers, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your own life completely. Embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. That is a violent denial of yourself. But this denial is not diminishing our value, and and frankly, it's the opposite. You see, in verse 24, Jesus says, For if you choose self-sacrifice, which means giving up your own lives for my glory, only then will you discover true life. Again, even Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane violently denied his flesh. He said, God, if there's any way that you can remove this cup from me, do it. But through a violent denial of himself, he said, God, not my will, but yours be done. And it's not that there wasn't value in his living. It's that there was far greater value in his sacrifice to his own flesh and his submission to the Father's will. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, do we really understand what it means to be a living sacrifice? Living as a sacrifice. That means daily crawling on the altar and putting our flesh to death so that there is nothing standing in the way of radical obedience to your creator. And the reason why that's important is because your creator is really the only one that knows the true value of your life and what can be done with it. Do you get that? That's the potter and the clay analogy. Like, like who, who am I as a pitcher if God has made me a pitcher to say, no, I'd rather be a pot. See, God knows what your life is truly worth, and he knows exactly what he can do with it. You see, when we live life under our own terms, our kingdom value is also limited to our terms. When we live life under our own terms, our kingdom value is also limited to our own terms. And I'll cite my sources here. This is a quote from Mike Bennett. God will take you as far as you are willing to die to yourself. God will take you as far as you are willing to die to yourself. See, how many of you know that when your plan gets in the way and your understanding gets in the way, it often falls woefully short of God's plan? How many of you know that as soon as your own desires get in the way, things can turn south very quickly? This is why Paul says, I appeal to you by God's 
mercy. You see, it is a mercy that you die to yourself because if you don't, you will inevitably, you will inevitably run your life into the ground. You will shipwreck your life. So by God's mercy and grace, die to yourself and live as a sacrifice. And only then will God use you to your full potential. Because if you live life under your own terms, your kingdom value will also be limited to your own terms. Again, it's not that we don't value our lives. It's that we recognize that our lives have far greater value being a living sacrifice. This also doesn't mean that we should try to seek opportunities to be martyrs. Right? It's not that we hate our lives so much that we, want, that we want to go and die and seek that out. Even the disciples actively tried to escape death many times. If somebody's running at you with a spear, it's okay to run away. Like, that's fine. Right? So I'm sure that there was a measure of self-preservation and fear there. But I believe that the, the disciples knew that their continued life also had value. You see, Christians who are sold out to the denial of self are very effective warriors for the kingdom. They're very dangerous to the darkness. However, when death did come for the martyrs of history, how did they face it with such courage? Truly, there was this anticipation of, of the bliss it would be being in heaven with their Savior. Absolutely. But what about their readiness to die? And frankly, I believe their readiness to die came from a discipline of being a living sacrifice. You see, they were used to dying to themselves, even in the small things and the big things. And so when the day, when the day came for them to physically die, there was a discipline of saying, my life is Christ's anyway. It does not belong to me. And if this is what's going to happen, I will lay it down and I will die with courage and anxious anticipation that I will see my Savior. See, if we were to, to daily die to ourselves, should the, th the threat of physical death come, it would not slow our pursuit of building the kingdom. That is the hope. That is the point of the daily discipline of dying to yourself. So that should the threat of death come, it would not slow your pursuit of building the kingdom. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if we believe this, this gives us the security and confidence to die to ourselves. Because if I understand that whether tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or my own death comes, Nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. I am completely secure in him. And so that means no matter what I sacrifice and no matter how much it costs me, I will never lose Christ's love. That gives us the confidence and the security to continue to lay down our lives for the sake of the kingdom. 
Luke 14, 25 through 33 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are sobering words. For whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see him will begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great ways off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That last sentence there where it says, who does not renounce all that he has, some translations render that possess. Whoever does not give up all that they possess. And the Greek there actually goes a bit deeper. The Greek actually means something that exists. If you do not give up something that exists. So what Paul is saying here is, this is not just my physical possessions. This is every part of me. This is the entirety of my existence. And if it's not laid down at the feet of Jesus, I cannot be his disciple. but I lay it down because he is worth it. You see, if we do not continue to count the cost, if we do not daily make the decision to lay it all on the line for the glory of Christ and the joy of walking with him, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple and you will not endure to the end. You might stick around for a while while it's easier. Hey, you may even, maybe you'll even make some sacrifices. And maybe you'll start to build that tower, but eventually, if you don't continually count the cost, if you don't continually lay the entirety of your existence on that altar, you will run the risk of reaching a point where you say, I didn't count the cost, and you forsake being his disciple. You run the risk of not enduring to the end. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about all of the things that will pull people away from the church in the last days. False prophets, famine, persecution, even betrayal from former Christians that have left the church. And then Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who makes it halfway. Not the one who makes it 75% of the way. Not the one who makes it 90% of the way, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we endure by violent and complete self-sacrifice. That is what counting the cost means. That is what enduring to the end takes. You see, anything of this world that we are not willing to let go of, Satan will use to pull us away from the church. Anything that is of this world that you are not willing to let go of, Satan will use to pull you away from the kingdom of God. 
See, what it takes to follow Jesus is total self-sacrifice of my entire existence, whatever, of God, whatever God is asking of me, whatever it will cost me. It is a violent rejection of my flesh and laying my yes before God, saying no matter what the cost, no matter what you are asking to do, before you even ask, my answer is yes, Lord. What would you have me do? It means you have to be willing to lay down your own dreams and your own plans and your own vision and your own desires for your life and pick up those of the Father. And this is ultimately exactly what God has been speaking to me. See, most of you uh, may or may not know, but after 10 years of working in medicine and many years of education, lots of debt, lots of stress and time away from my family um, and a, a career in medicine that I absolutely loved, uh, I quit my job in orthopedic surgery, and just this last week, I started on a new adventure. You see, my nature is to play it safe. My nature is to take the known decision, the secure option, continue on the trajectory that I started on. I put a lot of time and money and effort and pain and sweat and tears into a career of medicine. My nature is to stay in medicine. See, that's my nature. And God wanted to blow that up, as he tends to do. To make a long story short, ultimately, when I was going through this battle of, of what God would have me do, he ultimately convicted me, and, and during one of the many sleepless nights, he said to me, you know, you make the wise choice. You make the known choice because it's something that you can control. You see, I thought I was being wise. I thought I was providing for my family, which I was. I thought it was God's blessing and provision that I had a great job that I loved that gave me all the money that I needed, a little extra money to give to the church as well, gave me great benefits, great insurance, security, and stability for my family. I thought that was God's provision, and it absolutely was. It's what got me here. But God said, when you're making that wise decision to stay there, at least for me, it wasn't wisdom, it was control. It was control. And ultimately, I got to the point wrestling with him one night where he showed me that I was limiting his provision and blessing in my life because I was still holding on to control. God was limiting the real blessing and the real provision that he wanted to give me because I was holding on to, to, to control. I was able to do it for myself. And I was trusting in my own self, in the money that I had put in, in the time that I had put in to get where I was. I was not trusting in his provision or his blessing. And so God told me, you're limiting what I can do with that because you're holding on to it. And he was inviting me to lay it down. He was inviting me to lay down what I thought my future held so that I could follow him and live out his vision for my life and receive his real blessing for my life and live under his provision and not my own. He was calling me to live a life that was unhindered and unchained from my control. 
And that was hard for me to hear when God convicted me. And he said, that, that wisdom that you think you're, you have is not wisdom. It's control. That took me a while to get over. <laughs> you see, church, he is calling all of us to lay down our lives because as long as we are holding on to them, we are limiting what he will do through us. As long as we are holding on to our lives, we are limiting what he will do through us. And we are running the risk of one day reaching the point where we had not yet counted the cost. And we will reach that fork in the road and we will have to make a decision. Am I going to lay down my life and count the cost? Or am I going to run the risk that I will fail to endure to the end? Will I remain his disciple and lay it down? Or will I fail to endure to the end? You see, this will cost you everything. So build the discipline now of being a living sacrifice, even if it's in the small things like taking out the garbage or turning off your phone or whatever it may be. Daily putting yourself on the altar and giving your yes to God so that no matter what comes, your response is not my will, not my finances, not my job, not my dreams, not my vision, but yours. Your will be done. So let me tell you something, church. If you think your plans are as good as it gets, you need to keep laying down your life. Maybe they're even big and audacious plans and dreams, which is good. But as soon as you make those yours and you don't keep laying them down at the feet of Jesus, at that moment you are limiting what God will do through you. And you're holding yourself back from God's provision and blessing in your life. And I'm just now starting to learn this. I'm just now starting to learn to not let my old trajectory determine my final destination. So you need to keep laying it down so that the moment that God wants to shift your trajectory, you will have already made your decision. Not my life, not my will, but yours. I have already counted the cost. And my answer is yes, Jesus. In John 10, 18, Jesus says, probably in my opinion, one of the most boss sentences in the entire Bible. It's awesome. John 10, 18 says, nobody takes my life from me. This is Jesus. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And so let me ask you something this evening, church. Is your life being taken from you? Are you allowing Satan through the influence of this world to take any part of your life from you? If there's a part of your life that is not on that altar right now, chances are Satan is leveraging that to steal it from you and to pull you away from the kingdom or to distract you, or to try and take something away that was meant to be used for the kingdom? Is any part of you just going with the flow because, hey, this has always been my career. This has always been my trajectory. This has always been my nature. This has always been what I've always done. See, if you are not intentionally laying your life down, chances are it's being stolen from you. 
Chances are either the enemy is convincing you just to coast, assuming that whatever your past held is also what your future contains. Or he is actively stealing something from you as you unknowingly partner with him in shipwrecking your life because you decide that you know what's best. Now, I am not saying that everyone needs to upend their lives. If everyone goes and quits their jobs on Monday, it's not on me. (laughs) You have that conversation with God. However, the entirety of your existence had better be on that altar. If it's not, Christ says, you cannot be my disciple. If it's not, you run the risk of coming to a fork in the road where Christ says to you, did you count the cost for this decision? And if your life is not on that altar, if you have not already laid it down, you run the risk of Christ telling you, You can't be my disciple. So church, is your life being taken from you? Is there any part of your life that is not on that altar? Because maybe it's time to stand in the face of the world and stand in the face of Satan and say, no one takes my life from me. I will lay it down of my own accord. And where I will lay it is at the feet of Jesus. You will not steal any part of my life any longer. I'm not going to coast anymore. Every part of my existence will be laid at the feet of Jesus. And I will be a living sacrifice in the service of my king. And I will refuse to give him anything less. So church, is your life being stolen from you? Are you daily counting the cost of walking with him? Are you violently denying your flesh, crawling on that altar daily and saying, my life is yours, Jesus, and my answer is yes? Are you counting the cost? So we're going to finish with communion tonight. There are uh, bins of communion in each aisle. You can pass them out. Just as a reminder, if you do not profess Christ as your Savior, I would ask you not to partake. This is not to ostracize you. This is to protect you. The Bible is quite clear that this is for people that are in the family of God. I would also tell you, if you have some sin issue in your life that you have no intention of laying before Christ and dealing with it, I would also ask you not to take communion. Hebrews says, do not trample on the grace of the Son. But for the rest of us, Again, this is just a reminder that this represents the body and the blood of Christ. And so as you, were t- as you take it, remember the body and the blood that was sacrificed for your eternal life to pay for your sins.
But also remember that that sacrifice gives you the grace and the strength to continue to die to yourself every day as you partner with him in his sacrifice. So as we take communion tonight, tonight, what I want you to focus on is that you partner with Christ in sacrificing your flesh so that you can live in the full freedom that was paid for you on the cross. And ask the Holy Spirit, is there any part of my life that's being stolen? Is there any part of me that is not on the altar? And if there's something that the Spirit is convicting you of right now that that you need to lay down before him, this altar is open. You can do it in the pew. But deal with it tonight. Because I don't want you to walk out these doors and not have counted the cost of what it takes to be a disciple of your Savior. So come before him in prayer. Lay your life down on the altar so that there is nothing hindering you from complete obedience to your creator, the only one who knows exactly what your life is worth, the only one who knows exactly what could be done with it. Because as soon as you start to take control of your life, you start limiting what God's going to do through you. So as you're ready, take your time. The band is going to be playing behind us, and then we're going to sing one more song and be done for tonight. Yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus. I want us to just stay in this moment. Just just stay in this presence. Close your eyes if you have to stay in this moment. I want to speak to a group of people right now. Isaac did such an incredible job speaking to those of us that, that know Jesus. But I felt so strongly as he was speaking that there are some in here who have not yet met Jesus. And as we're singing, look at our Savior. Look at Jesus. There is someone in here who says, but I don't know him. How can I look at him when I've never met him? And I want to introduce you to him tonight. Because let me tell you, this world is a hard world to live in. But when you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that it gets easier. It actually kind of gets a little bit harder. <laughs> but you can do it because he takes all of the stuff off of you. He takes all of the things that are weighing you down. He takes your sin. Everything you've ever done, he takes. You don't have to be caught up in shame or guilt any longer. You don't have to live under depression. You don't have to live under anxiety because Jesus takes it. And I want to introduce you to him. You know, Jesus said his very own words. He said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And someone in here today, you feel like your life is worthless. And Jesus says, I am life for you. And so if that's you, you know it's you because your heart's racing or your palms are sweaty or your knees are wobbling or you feel this desperation and you say, I want to know that Jesus that these crazy people are singing about. All you have to do is in your heart, you just say, Jesus, I choose you. 
Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. Here's what happened. Jesus came down to earth as a man. He came down because there needed to be a sacrifice. Because you could not stand before God Almighty without a sacrifice. Because he is holy and you are not. And so Jesus came down as a man. He lived on earth for 33 years. And then he went to the cross willingly. Just like Isaac talked about. He could have said, yeah, I'm not doing that. But he went willingly for you. And when he was on the cross, listen to me, every one of your sins, everything was on his shoulders. He took it all. And then it says, he cast it as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. And so if that's you right now, just surrender in your heart. I'm going to pray But you don't have to pray my special words. You just tell Jesus yourself. There's nothing magical about a certain prayer. It's a surrendering of your heart to Jesus. So right now in your heart, just tell him. Just say, Jesus, I've made a lot of mistakes. I know I'm a sinner. But today I believe. Today I believe that you are the only way to the Father. The rest of that verse says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman can come to the Father, can stand before God, but through me, but through Jesus. So today, I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, and I surrender myself. I surrender my life to you so that you can take all of it. And if you prayed that, I want you to tell someone, okay? I want you to, if someone brought you, I want you to tell them. You can come up and tell Isaac, who just preached. You can tell me. You can tell one of our hosts at the back. Because this is not a life that you walk alone. This is a a life that you walk with people who can help you know Jesus even better. I'm so glad that everyone is here tonight. Be encouraged as you leave. Find someone and give them a big hug. And we will see you next week. Love y'all.